your mindset is different. And I know some of the questions you're going to ask, and it's I'm going to stick to that point in the next question, but I think your mindset is different. And so now you're thinking in terms of a we-ness as opposed to just myself. And so that way of thinking changes the way you behave as well. Right. This week, we have a new study for you. New research shows that alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis use dips for men who get married. Why is that? Dr. Karen Sherman joins the show like she does to explain why that might be. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original, the brilliant Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is also the author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Today, Karen, we are going to dig into a new study, of course. (laughs) Um, This one links marriage to reductions in in men's use of alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis. Uh, so a little background, this study was, is a longitudinal study of 1,791 individuals from male, male twin pairs that was Mm -hmm. published in the Cambridge university press researchers collected data on their marital status, the use of alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis during different periods of the participants lives. Um, This design of the study, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, allowed researchers to compare substances between participants and between different periods within individuals' lives. Mm -hmm. So my first question here, I'm going to lay it out. The use of alcohol and cannabis reduced significantly prior to marriage and during years right after marriage. Uh, So looking at this, it seems like partners going into marriage wanting to do it to have a cleaner, healthier slate and those habits after they got married also continued. Does this tell us anything about motivation within humans? Uh, as in we won't necessarily do things for ourselves, even if they would be beneficial to ourselves, but they will do it for others. I guess that that's one take on it. I think the other is that, you know, when you're single, you tend to party more. Um, I think that once you are going into a committed relationship, you feel a responsibility to somebody else. So it's not only that, you know, um, I'm I'm doing this now for someone else, but there's a more of a commitment. You're not just a single person. You're in a responsible, committed relationship. And so uh, you take your life 
in a little bit more of a serious realm. Um, and so, so, so to, yeah, go ahead. so part of it is, I mean, you're, you're, it sounds like you're changing the environment with which you live. So once you get married, you're not going to as many parties and going on as yes. many dates and, and clubs and whatever else to potentially find a mate. Uh, you Correct. have it, you're now staying at home, Netflixing and chilling. Yes, that's in part, but I think it's also attitudinally. Um, I think that your mindset is different, and I know some of the questions you're going to ask, and it's I'm going to stick to that point in the next question, but I think your mindset is different, and so now you're thinking in terms of a we-ness mm. as opposed to just myself, and so that way of thinking changes the way you behave as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, this all makes sense. Um, so moving on to that next question, substance use and men who cohabitated with their partners resembled patterns of single rather than married mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Okay. So again, you know, we have seen even in areas other than the use of substances right. that there is a shift in the thinking of both men and women when they get married as opposed to when they're merely cohabitating. There is something about actually making that commitment and having that piece of paper that says you are married that creates a different mindset in you. And so people who are men who are cohabitating have not yet made that commitment. So that goes along with what I was saying in answering the first question. Mm -hmm. Additionally, although I should leave this for when you say, do I have anything else to say? But additionally, um, we know that there is a nagging factor among married couples, meaning that wives will nag their husbands, and that's why they have better health. Their diets are better, their exercise programs are better, and I would imagine they're not using substances. Now, I don't think when you're cohabitating that a woman would feel as comfortable nagging. Now, by the way, even though it's called nagging, what we have found is that it has a very positive effect, that men are healthier because women are nagging because they're really concerned. Right. So, but again, I don't think that if you're cohabitating, you as a woman would feel that you have the right to nag as much. Um, the, the nagging part of it, I've, you know, we've talked about these studies a lot over the years. Ha, have you seen anything about homosexual couples? Like, is the nagging the same when you're in a same sex relationship? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, that would be an interesting question. Uh, but no, I haven't. Have you read anything about it? No, I was just thinking about it uh, as you were talking. And, and uh, it would be interesting, though. And mm. uh, going back to the commitment level of cohabitating versus married, it, it's funny because I'm I'm in the process as we speak of getting a new project started, a new uh, writing project started where I have a verbal agreement, mm-hmm. um, but we don't have the contract signed yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can tell you that my mindset will be a lot different, sure. um, not in terms of w- the work that I'm doing, but there will be a relief that will take place once I have that contract signed. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think it's a good analogy. Um, okay. So, Moving on here, the use of tobacco did not decrease until the third year of marriage, according to this study. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, just kind of thinking of tobacco in general, as opposed to alcohol and even cannabis mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the chemicals that they put into it to make it as addictive as possible. Do you think that it didn't decrease until the third year of marriage because it was a harder habit to kick or was there potentially another factor such as getting married can be stressful and that would be a time in life where you would lean on a calming device like smoking? Well, though I do think that getting married can be stressful, and I think that um, some of our listeners may be saying marriage isn't stressful, but positive events can be stressful as well because Mm -hmm. you still have to make adjustments and and learn to cope. So that's why we're saying that it's stressful. I don't think that that's the reason. I think that, um, yes, it's a harder habit to kick. And number two... um, And I I think this would be an interesting piece to look at. Um, I don't think that smoking, and again, this is there'll be a caveat in a moment, is frowned upon as much as alcohol and cannabis. Uh, It's it's more accepted. It's not looked at as oh, you know, like why do you need so much to look at that? However, here's the caveat. Um, I think that. This study's been following these people for quite some time. Right. If it was done with people who, only who were people who are younger, I think that there would be more of a negative attitude towards tobacco because the people today are certainly more educated about uh, the negative aspects of tobacco. Right. So. Right. You know, my point that it's not seen in as bad a light as alcohol and cannabis, I don't know that that would be accurate um, for younger people. Yeah. This, um, just trying to t- take a quick peek at when this all got started, and it looks like the references go back to the early 2000s mm. um, in terms of when they started following some of these people. Mm. Um, the I... I agree 90%. Uh, I kind of feel like tobacco is a little more frowned upon than alcohol. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's because I'm in California and Mm -hmm. we banned cigarettes Mm. like, you know, from basically being allowed anywhere a long time ago. But again, that could be my, my bias. Okay. Here's my other thought. And this is going to include my input at the end. In anticipating that question, I was going to say to you, this would be really interesting also if they looked at couples who had children and couples who didn't, Mm. because I think that, again, um, there's going to be more of a commitment to not participating in um, these substances once there are children. Because now you're not only thinking about yourself, but you're also thinking about a partner and children. So as we were talking, something occurred to me. Around three years is probably where a lot of couples have a mm-hmm. child. And that might be why they then stop smoking, because at the very least, you've got secondhand smoke right. occurring. That is such a great observation. Uh, I I mean, I personally, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I personally know, I think like two, maybe three people who quit smoking when they had kids. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes so, that so much sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like, like I said at the beginning, brilliant. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so the fact that the researchers were able to control for the environmental factors, uh, you know, using twins makes mm-hmm. this a more interesting study, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and here's the, but what should people know or consider about using this type of methodology? Well, you know, first of all, do we know if they were identical twins or do we know if they were fraternal twins? Because fraternal twins are really nothing more than two different people who were born at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's a factor that could be confounding. Um, You know, the whole concept of using twins is that you've got two people who have the same genetics, but... Um, have grown up, um, you know, at the sa- in the same environment. So we look at it and say, okay, um, you know, if they end up having differences, you know, is it really nature or is it nurture? But again, um, you know, what you sent me um, was basically the um, overview of the study, and so I didn't get to read the study in full. Um, I don't know that they did anything specific about uh, looking at whether they were fraternal or identical twins, because that would make a difference in right. their findings. Well, one of the yes, uh, and I didn't see where they specified that either. And mm-hmm. you know, my apologies to our listeners for not trying to find that. Um, the other thing, which is something that we've mentioned in the past is you could still, and I think one of the things that is kind of assumed is like, well, you grew up in the same household, you had the same parents, but we know that growing up technically in the same environment doesn't mean that you had the same experience with oh, that environment. Doesn't yeah. mean your parents treated you the same. Doesn't mean that your sibling treated you the same. It doesn't mean that you had the same outlook on the experience that you were having. Like there's so many variables yes. in that, that I feel like we lean on this uh, twin sample study as a crutch of like, well, <laughs> we locked in all the variables and it's like, no, you didn't. Like there's still a ton of variables. It you, potentially is better. Like, you know, that uh, technically you're coming from the same genes. So there's that factor, but, but it's not perfect. Yeah. But that being said, Steve, and I don't mean to be um, disagreeable here. The percentage is 0.8, uh, 80% where there is a, presuming it's identical twins, right. where we find that the likeness is the same. And statistically, that is considered very high, right. really, really high, which means that it is more a genetic factor than an environmental factor. Um, so I'm not saying your um, point uh, doesn't have merit because yes, you know somebody could treat uh, one of the twins, presuming again that they're identical. Like, well, you were the first one that was born, so technically you are the older, and they could treat them differently, or they could end up being um, in different classes growing up because they decided the parents decided they didn't want them to be together all the time, and those two classrooms could be very different environments. So yes, you you are right that they could have very different environments. But um, again, what we find at the end of the day when we look at identical twins, that they end up behaving at a 0.8 
correlation, which is, again, considered statistically very, very significant. And that's why I keep going back to um, I would love to know if these were identical or fraternal twins or if they would at least make a comparison of those two groups, because I think, you know, there would be something to be gained from that. Right. No, that's a great point. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I, uh, conceding that I wasn't trying to suggest that this wasn't a better methodology, but just that it wasn't perfect. Nothing Um, is perfect, Steve. We know that. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, like, I feel like we know that, but so much like, you know, I'm such an, a, a rabid consumer of information that I just see so many yeah. people self-assured about the information that they have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the things that we're famous for, well, <laughs> maybe not famous, but, uh, that we're known for, for those who listen to us is, is your very typical response of it depends mm. because we see so much gray area <laughs> and so much stuff that we talk about. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to highlight yet another point of gray area, maybe not as gray as maybe I was painting it, but that not everything is black and white. And I get frustrated whenever I see people just make emphatic statements about something where I can give you eight reasons why that's not true. Right. Right. Off, right. right on the face. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up though, to show that, when it comes to doing these kind of studies and research that uh, if you had the choice, this is the best or better choice that people mm-hmm. can, can, can use. So uh, thank you for adding that information. Um, th- so could there be anything else that you can think of that might account for less use of alcohol, tobacco and cannabis among married men compared to their cohorts? Well, I really think it's the factor of the relationship, and um, what what we didn't discuss here, but which which was in the study, is that divorced people also have a higher rate of use of substances. Right, right. And again, um, I think that we rely on substances um, when we're not as happy, unfortunately. Um, and so whether it is that we're not feeling like, um, you know, that we haven't met somebody that we're in love with yet, or we feel that we've come out of a relationship and now we feel terrible, um, unfortunately, many of us do resort to um, the use of substances to help us get through uh, difficult times. You know, there's a joke that I is going around right now during this quarantine that at the end of this, uh, should we be joining AA or Weight Watchers? <laughs> you know, because again, while people are stressed and troubled, they tend to be drinking a lot and eating a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think that and, and you know what else would be interesting, I just thought of? Looking at whether those marriages were happy marriages. Mm. Because if you're in an unhappy marriage, I think you would probably resort to the use of um, substances more as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so lots more studies can be done off of this study. 
Yeah. And, and, and it falls, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, uh, it falls right in line with everything else we already know about married couples just in general, that they're healthier, they live longer. And this kind of just is another bullet point in that. Yes. Um, and, but the, to your point that the interesting granular, granular look at this to just to figure out, okay, uh, who is reaching optimum level of health versus others. Um, when I was thinking about this last question too, I was thinking about how the other factors that go into marriage, um, which is you, you typically have a better job, you have higher education, you make more money, like all Mm -hmm. these other things that play into it, um, kind of create this environment that you are now living in. Uh, so anyways, I, 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 um, I fall back on your, (laughs) on your assessment of it, but I do think it's interesting, but I, I think it continues to fill in the, the overall painting of marriage being a, a healthy institution for people's and people in general. Yes. Yes. Um, And that's why we do the work we do. Right, Steve? That's right. That's right. Uh, It's uh, yes. And so hopefully this uh, helps other people feel good about the choice that they made um, making that commitment. So with that, Karen, you've already given me your um, one last thing. So I'm going to I'm going to wrap this one up. So thank you so much for your time. It is always appreciated. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you. Uh, And before we go, let me remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist in relationships and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information and more at her website, drkarensherman.com. We have this information on our website, hitchedmag.com along with uh, the entire archive of our podcast, which is 500 plus episodes, uh, the thousands of articles that we have available for you, and a free newsletter that goes out weekly, uh, which kind of wraps up uh, all the new stuff that we put out for the week and highlighted for the week. So you can check that out as well. It takes 30 seconds to sign up, and I encourage you to do so. And with that, we are going to wrap this one up. So thank you very much for your time. And until next time, take care, everybody.